Asheville, Tennessee. This is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. South of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. Now as I wander, my thoughts ever stray. South of the border, down Mexico way. She was a picture in old Spanish lace. Just for a tender while, I kissed the smile upon her face. Cause it was fiesta. Jealous. 
I'm jealous. <laughs> but all morning I've been going around the house singing South of the Border. So I thought I might even ask if you'd sing along with me for a little bit. Maybe oh, you would not want me to. You would not want me to <laughs> sing. You would not want me to sing along. <laughs> uh, I can the words. <laughs> well, are you and Jim having a good start to 2020? Um, we had a, a very nice, um, quiet New Year's, which is, uh, you know, I, you know what, Gary, I'm looking forward to that long winter's nap that we're all promised, you know, and every day since Christmas, I thought today is that day for that long <laughs> winter's nap, but, um, I don't know, it, it keeps, uh, eluding me. <laughs> Life just gets in the way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, I really want that nap. <laughs> Well, I had a very comfortable New Year's Eve sitting in front of the TV watching Keith Urban and Stevie Nicks perform a free concert in Nashville with about 200,000 of our closest friends. So that was a great way to start off. Great way to start Mm -hmm. off. But we have a great way to start off 2020 today on the Campfire Cafe. And who is our guest? I'm so excited. We finally have Ernie Martinez on, and I've been looking forward to this for a long time. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, it is going to be a lot of fun. And then in the second hour of the show, we're going to be talking with Mr. Alex Kappert, who is the executive director of the Mustang Heritage Foundation in Georgetown, Texas. So we've got a great, great show. But right now, We're going to get ready to listen to the amazingly talented Mr. Ernie Martinez. And when we come back, we'll be talking with Ernie today on the Campfire Cafe for the first Thursday of 2020. We'll be right back. Acabo de 
Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. We've just heard Arancho Grande performed by today's featured guest, Ernie Martinez. Our guest today is the brilliant musician, inspiring teacher, recording artist, songwriter, and producer, Ernie Martinez, an extremely versatile musician. Ernie plays just about every instrument that has strings and more. Ernie has been a part of the Colorado music scene for over 40 years, and known for his outstanding and versatile picking, he has played on over 150 albums as a studio musician in both Colorado and Nashville, including those of Tom Paxton and John McEwen, as well as with Campfire Cafe past guests John Chandler, Gary McMahon, Barry Ward, and others. He is in demand as an album producer, song arranger, and co-writer. Please welcome to Campfire Cafe a member of the Colorado Bluegrass Music Hall of Honor and the 2018 International Western Music Association Instrumentalist of the Year, Ernie Martinez. Welcome, Ernie, and Happy New Year. Oh, hello there, and Happy New Year to you guys as well. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor and a pleasure for sure, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've been looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah we've yeah, been looking too. forward to this. <laughs> I, I cannot tell yeah. you how many people for the past week have been posting Laud. Uh, they they just they just bragged about you. It's like, man, he's a great musician. <laughs> he's so talented. He's so giving. And it's just kept on until five minutes ago. So I know people are eager <laughs> To hear what you have to say and to listen yeah. to your great music. Yeah, well, it's all good batteries, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's the secret to have fresh batteries on. And uh, <laughs> no, I, I uh, oh, I'm truly, you know, uh, I feel truly blessed to be able to, you know, to uh, um, to have this gift, I guess, to you know, to be able to do this and. Um, and I thoroughly enjoy it. It's been good to me, you know, over the years, and uh, and I've met a lot of just wonderful people, you know, along the way, and uh, just it's just been a joyous occasion, you know. All oh, that's great. And, yeah, and uh, well, give us, give us a little background, Ernie. Tell us a little bit about you growing up, and I think, if I recall, you had a musical family too. Yeah, actually. Uh, um, um, my father um, is the one I really have, you know, really need to give credit for because he got me started um, on everything. He he saw this happening way before I did, and uh, I guess in his mind he knew that I was going to, you know, uh, um, someday play music for a living, and uh, and he wanted to show me, you know, everything that he knew, uh, you know, to get me going and. By golly, he sure did. You know, he uh, first <laughs> instrument, the first instrument that I ever played, learned to play was a ukulele. Because I was too small, I was like four years old, and I was too small oh, wow. to to put my arms around a guitar. So luckily, you know, the four strings of a uke are tuned, um, not in the same key as a guitar, but they're it's tuned the same way. And, uh, you know, close enough to when I did grow into a guitar, I'm not going to get lost on the, you know, on the fingerboard. Right. Um, so, uh, so anyway, he got me going from everything from, you know, he, every melody that he knew 
because he played guitar, accordion, and piano, and uh, and he retained you know a lot of things. He never did it professionally. I think he had one gig that he did when he was in the navy. You know that that he could you know uh, speak of, and uh, um, and I think it was an accordion gig that he did for the you know for the troops where he was. Wow. But uh, yeah. Wow. But anyway. Um, yeah, so he, you know, had all these big band melodies and anything that he heard on the radio, you know, whether it was big band, whether it was, um, uh, you know, anything popular that was on the radio or anything from, you know, um, in Spanish, like, you know, like what you just heard, you know, El right. Grande, you know, that was one of the first songs I ever learned in its fullest. And, uh, uh and you know, amongst a lot of other um, uh, rancheras and uh, corridos and and what have you, you know, in the in the in the Spanish world, and uh, uh, boy, I treasure that a lot because I mean, I learned so much, and I think that I learned about uh, I learned more, you know, cultural things about different, you know, genres, you know, that I got right. in, into. But right. uh, but anyway, but, uh, so back to my learning. Thing you know, he showed me every melody that you know that he knew, and uh, and I and some for some reason I picked them up pretty quick, and I would retain them. And I also had a, uh, I guess it was a pretty good rhythm source. Um, he noticed that, and he told me this that I was very percussive. Of course, I didn't know what that word meant. You know, I didn't know what percussion <laughs> meant for you know um, for years when I started. Four years old, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, uh, you know, as I was learning, and you know, uh, then I had repercussions of that. Pun <laughs> 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 intended. <laughs> nope. But, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Were, yeah. Were you learning? <laughs> were you learning kind of by ear, or um, yes, were you learning it, to read music early on? Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, the only time that I learned to read music is when I took uh, piano training uh, from the third uh, to the sixth grade in the elementary okay. school. And and I'm glad that I did, but it it really slowed me down, and um, uh-huh. you know for for various reasons. You know, number one, I have a vision impairment, and right. you know I was able to you know to you know to see it and to read it, but you know I'd have to get close to it, and it was very uncomfortable playing piano with your elbows up in the air. You know, and uh, <laughs> it just didn't work. <laughs> but uh, and then my you know my instructors recognized that my ear was working for me a lot better you know than anything else. So. Uh, you know they uh, they went ahead and you know uh, let me get away with it, so to speak. <laughs> but, and you wow. got away with it very yeah. very well, my friend. You got away yeah. with it very well. Yeah. Thank you so much. But uh, what really got me going into into music, you know, and, and understanding more of the percussion, I started playing drums. And the reason being is I went and saw uh, the movie Music Man. It was a it was premiered in Denver, you know, in the early '60s. Right, right. And and uh, you know and um, well, it was Denver was one of the cities that they had, that, you know, that that they chose to premiere the movie. So my sisters and I went and saw this movie, and uh, but we went to the parade downtown, um, and I heard seventy six trombones, and that just blew me away. And, and oh, the gosh. cadence, the drum cadence that went with it, and then of course we get get into the you know you know the movie house and uh, and started watching Music Man, and I'm thinking I heard this just. A little while ago, out on you know, out on the street. So they, you know, they explained it to me, and and I was still, you know, four or five years old at that time, 
And uh, wow. but, uh, all this went into my head, thinking, you know, went into my memory bank, and I'm thinking there's a reason why, you know, in my little kid way of thinking, there's a reason why I'm remembering this stuff and why I'm excited about it. Well, a year later, my parents bought me a toy drum, <laughs> and because they heard me playing that, you know, playing that cadence around the house, you know, on the table and that. So they got right. me that. So that was my first drum. Was that? And uh, you know, I don't know whether they thought it was a mistake or what, because boy, I just took to that, like you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, was marching around the house playing that cadence, and uh, you know, they they could yell at me, but they didn't yell too loud because they knew that there was there was music coming out of this little toy drum. And mm-hmm. and again, they knew what I was going to be doing in my future. You know, way before wow. I did. I just did it because it wow. felt good and sounded good and. And it was easy for me to do, you know, wow. until I got into you know, the much harder, you know, uh, uh, music stuff, and uh, you know, started learning actual tunes from other, you know, from other genres and things. So, uh, yeah, it was quite interesting how how that all evolved. <laughs> so, yeah, you what, have what, was your, in- what was your first gig? What was your first paying gig? My first gig was. Uh, and this was well after I started playing. You know, I, I grew into a guitar, and and also ended up with a full, you know, full size drum kit. Uh-huh. And I was playing in in uh, what we call the garage band era. You know, back in the mid '60s. Right. 1967 is when I actually got in my first band, and we played. Um, the first gig that I ever done was at a psychiatric ward. At <laughs> A <laughs> hospital in Denver, Fitzsimmons uh, 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 Hospital, and uh, and that was the first gig that I ever that I've ever done. Wow! Wow! And, uh, how uh, it old was, you? It was, how old were you? Then? I was 11 years old. Oh gosh! Wow. This was in 1967, and um, and it was it was a gas because these people really enjoyed you know what we were doing and. Uh, um, you know, and that was during, you know, probably the peak of, you know, the Vietnam War and, and, right. and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So we had a lot right. of, uh, you know, there was a lot of patients, you know, in this room, but they, you know, um, but they were just having a ball. They really appreciated what we were doing, and uh, and I learned a lot <laughs> from it. One thing I did learn is never play drums with a with a uh, three-piece suit on <laughs> when you're 11 years old, because Oh my gosh! I never sweated so much in my life, you know. Uh, <laughs> but so but I looked good. I looked okay, I guess. So you uh, look good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh gosh, now, that you is have, too funny. You have some. You have brothers and sisters. Is everybody musical? Uh, you know, to a certain extent, they were, but they never took it serious. You know, like like I did. Okay. And uh-huh. um, yeah, they they knew some stuff. Uh, um, you know, they things that they learned, melodies that they learned, they would figure it out on, on piano or, you know, uh, probably, yeah, mainly piano. And, and, of course, I, you know, my ear was glued to anything that they that they learned. I said, show me that. So they did. And uh, mm-hmm. and I'm surprised that they still talk to me today because all the noise that I made back when I, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid so, and, you know, around the house. So y'all, and, uh, y'all weren't like the Partridge family. You were not, you were not uh, um, a musical no, family no, we together, okay? <laughs> yeah, no, oh, no, it wasn't. Uh, I guess it probably could have been if they all took it seriously like I did. But you know, it 
that it, it didn't happen, but uh, uh-huh. but but they were and still are very 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 supportive of what I'm doing, you know, in, oh, that's great. in this profession. And uh, that is great. And, and I really, you know, and and I thank them dearly for that because it could have easily been the other way around. Like, oh, you're just too noisy, you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but they heard music supportive. coming out of me, so I guess, you know, there was something I was doing <laughs> right, I guess. Uh, well, there is, a, there is a great song that I want to get to right now from the album Blue Range. It's the title cut called mm-hmm. Blue Range. We're going to come back and talk more with the amazing Mr. Ernie Martinez in just a moment on the Campfire Cafe. She traveled out west with her brother and his wife. She left the blue of Kentucky to start a new life. She had nothing packed but her fiddle and her bow. Built on the Irish soil so long, long ago. Oh, the wagon moved slowly as she walked close behind. She played as she marched while the oxen kept time. She searched through the silence, so it seemed so very strange. The sweet melodies waiting down on the rain. In love with light of the moon. Soon after the campfire died, she played a fiddle too.
Yeah, yeah. After well, that, I was going to ask when the, when the Western uh, music came into play. Well, that uh, came in in the uh, oh, early 80s. Okay. I guess. And I've uh, kind of dabbled with it, you know, uh, up until then. Um, and again, back to my dad, he showed me, uh, you know, Red River Valley and um, Cool Water and things like that. So, and I never let go of those. You know, they were always in there. And then when I, uh, I think what really got that going is when, when I met Liz Masterson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the early 80s, uh, she hired me to, to play some gigs with her, and I learned a lot. That's when I really, you know, um, got more into into Western music. And, and and again, when I get into a genre, I try to go in, dive into its fullest. You know, you know, I want to know the history of it. I want to know who these players were. I learned a lot about Sons of the Pioneers and... Um, um, even a lot of these movie stars who, you know, who would sing, you know, Western music and TV stars, Ken Curtis, you right. know, Festus mm-hmm. from Gunsmoke, you know, was his, yep. he was in the Sons yep. of the Pioneers. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I learned a lot of that, you know, through Liz. And then, uh, and, and I started learning about John Chandler, you know, during that time. And uh-huh. John and I were in different, we didn't start working together until the 90s when he hired me uh, to go in the studio and, and play on the, um, um, you know, his uh, Wyoming Wind and uh, um, Out West of Laramie, you know, uh, right. CDs. And, um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and then we just became really, really good friends, you know, at that point. But although we knew who each other was, we knew of each other because our country bands had played the same circle of uh, clubs and venues and uh, um, that was all during the urban cowboy <coughs> ad yeah. was doing all yeah. the, you know, everybody was busy you know yeah, yeah. John Travolta you know <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. so anyway but but I got into you know a lot of that and um, but Liz really really gave me a good understanding you know about western music and um, and also joined a chuck wagon the Lazy H Chuck Wagon uh, here in here in Colorado back in ninety, nineteen ninety. Wow! And and I learned even more about that. I was with the group Everywhere West at that point, and um, and I think that's when I when I took the total dive into it. Really learned, um, you know, the uh, how to how to sing this stuff, you know, the right way. Right. You know, as far as the traditional aspect goes, and, uh, mm-hmm. and then you know, you learn to sing how these, you know, how these genres are supposed to be sung. Then you go from that point and build, you know, get your own identity through it. And uh, that's just kind of my, you know, my thinking on it. And uh, uh, and I just really got into that, just like I did bluegrass. Wow. Um, and having knowing bluegrass really helped. Um, in that, because I, you know, from that point went into uh, country music when I learned the pedal steel guitar, and 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 again I went for history again. And learned, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. through through bluegrass, I just really had learned about a lot of other genres, 
because I felt it was so important to know this stuff. And, right. And you know, to this to this to this day, it's really paid off for me. You know, in a lot of ways. And and I've That's got a brand neat. new story. Yeah, and I've got a brand new story to share with you on this. It's, uh, um, I did a gig on Saturday. Uh, played at a coffee house, you know, here in, here in Denver, in Arvada, and uh, I reacquired the first banjo I ever owned in my life. Oh, oh, oh wow. my gosh! And uh-huh. it was so it was so cool because um, I've been trying to buy this banjo back for years, and I sold it to this couple back in 1975. So it's been 44 years since I've wow. seen that banjo, and. Uh, and we've connected, you know, here and there over the years. And and uh, at one point they were ready to go ahead and sell the band. I was just going to give them their money back for it. And uh, well, come Saturday, um, the gal that I that I did the gig with knows these people as well, and uh, said, "Well, Kathy's going to be coming out to the to the to the gig tonight." Oh, and I thought, "Oh, good, I can finally reconnect with her about the banjo." Well, lo and behold, she come, not only came to the gig, but she had the banjo with her and gave it to me. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. And, and that was huge for me because wow. that banjo is what really got me. I don't think, I, I think that it, if it wasn't for that banjo, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Wow. Uh-huh. I mean, that's we'll have how a place of honor in your home, was. won't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fantastic yeah. story. And, Fantastic and you know what? Story. It still it still sounds good. It plays great, and uh, and you know it's going to hang on my wall. But I'll still you know get it down and play it once in a while. Oh, that's it great! Meant so much, you know. So uh, well, the first song that we did mm-hmm. uh, has kind of a bluegrass sound to it. Yes. This song is one called "The Streets of Laredo." It is an instrumental. And uh, it really shows the Western side of things. How many instruments on this did you play? Um, I played everything but the fiddles. Oh wow! Now I do I do own a fiddle, but I pretend to play it. <laughs> so I didn't, you know, everything that everything that you hear on my recordings that are fiddle is not me, <laughs> because there's uh, people that just <laughs> so much better than me. No, that. Uh, um, but I did play. Uh, um, Guitar. I did all the guitars on it, and dobro and mandolin. Wow! On wow. Well, and let's and then I hired a I hired an upright bass player to come in, and, and and a fiddle player. And I'll tell you know once the song's over, I'll tell you more about that. All right, sounds good. This is Streets of Laredo. It's Ernie Martinez. We're certainly happy to have him join us today on the Campfire Cafe.
streets of Laredo, Ernie Martinez from his CD, Blue Range, which is such a great title for this um, CD, Ernie, because it's such a wonderful blend of bluegrass and the music of the range. It's just a fabulous, fabulous recording project. So you told us that you played everything on this, but fiddle and upright bass. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, the folks that joined you on this piece? Oh, you bet, yeah. Um, and first of all, thank you so much for that, for, you know, all these kind words and everything. And yeah, I'm humbled. <laughs> <laughs> Very humbled. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, the the purpose of, of the Blue Range project was to show, you know, the my two favorite genres, you know, bluegrass and and Western music. And I thought, you know, I'd get, mm-hmm. do a take on, on both, you know, both genres and, uh, mm-hmm. uh pretty proud of that and um uh yes um johnny neal who plays uh fiddle with uh, john chandler and i you know at america's soul live yeah. you know here in Arlata, right. and uh, uh he he did all the all the fiddle parts on there and or well in this case violin parts and we call him jonathan when when, when he does that so. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> but, you know, and, and, and he did an outstanding job, you know, on this tune, and and a very very dear friend of mine, uh, Sandy Ray, played the upright mm-hmm. bass, um, and did the you know the plucking and the and the bowing on it, and and uh, she did such a wonderful job on there, and she's a wonderful songwriter and and poet and uh, musician, you know, here in the Denver area, and. Uh, yeah. um, um, produced, you know, CD for her, and we're working on another project, and uh, uh, you know, just a lot of these wonderful musicians, um, you know, in the Denver area that I've had a chance to play with. It just uh, just makes my life so much easier. It makes my job <laughs> a lot easier to, <laughs> to be working. Well, you know. Well, we've been chatting today uh, and talking about banjo and and um, and a little right now about fiddle. I can't help but sort of go back to the Ken Burns country music documentary where he sets out from the very beginning. It's the story of the banjo and the fiddle. And uh-huh. as much as I'm a student only of music, I I am not a performer at all. But I guess I would call myself an armchair historian. I found that so interesting. It sort of crystallized some things for me. And um, and I think the banjo, you know, there's all kinds of really not very nice banjo jokes and stuff out there. And I think the banjo is <laughs> an amazing instrument. <laughs> and oh, yeah. Um, I, yeah, and I really liked that, that Ken kind of gave it a spotlight to say, you know, oh, yeah. this, instrument, this instrument has such an interesting history. And oh, um, it and its impact in music and look impact in performers' lives. It's you talk about that first one and and finding it again and having it again and and uh, that's just a remarkable you know what a remarkable story. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing um, how the banjo, you know what it's really grown into and you know uh, oh yes I've been a, a huge part of all the banjo jokes you know and. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's well picked on, but it's very well received as well. And mm-hmm. and a lot of the banjo jokes are from banjo players, 
you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, but the, you know, the, what's really neat about it too is the old uh, old time sound, the claw hammer sound, is really uh, uh, rejuvenated. You know, over the years, it's taken its own its own life again. Uh, I mean, not not ending its life, but taking its you know presenting its own life into right. into popular music and. Uh, you know they're bringing it back in. Is as is, is, is my point. Um, yes, yeah, just a lot of players are bringing the the old claw hammer style, which is frailing, and you know, uh, and that's what it was before. You know the the three finger Earl Scruggs style. You know came in. Right. You know it was used on uh, you know cattle drives. You know it started out the banjo started out in Africa, and then it was brought you know to Britain and came to the U.S. and um, mm-hmm. Uh, such a nice, happy sound, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, a, a, a joyful instrument, you know, to play. And, uh, um, yeah, it's really uh, uh, taken some strides, I guess is, is, is what I'm trying to say here. And uh, just I'm just very proud to be a part, you know, of all that, you know, that's going on on with the instrument. Yeah. Well, and... You, you teach you you teach at the Swallow Hill Music Association for a long time. Um, how wonderful! Tell can you want to tell us a little bit about that organization and what um, what you do there? Oh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm very proud to have been involved in this organization for you know for 40 years, and that's when Swallow Hill started. Although it came out of a uh, uh, world-renowned establishment called the Denver Folklore Center and uh, ran by uh, Mr. Harry Tuft, who is very popular, you know, in the folk um, folk music scene and has been ever since, you know, it started. And, uh, you know, really came into play, you know, during the folk boom, you know, back in the 60s. And uh, so Swallow Hill came out of, out of that store. And I was one of uh, about 10 teachers at the most that we had at that time. And it has grown into well over 65 uh, instructors. Wow. That we have. Yeah, it it's really turned into just this mecca of, uh, you know, um, music knowledge, you know. And uh, we have everything from you know, from banjo to mandolin to um, um, guitar to drums, percussion, piano, voice, you know, you name it, just about, you know. And uh, and we even have a, a, a an instructor that teaches uh, sitar. Oh, wow. really? Pretty cool. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and he does really well with that. And... Uh, um, yeah, it's just uh, it's an amazing school. It's been uh, kind of patterned after the uh, Old Town. Hope I'm saying this right. Old Town School of Music in Chicago. That's kind of what mm-hmm. Swallow Hill was patterned after, which made it the second largest in the country. Wow! Wow! Well, yeah, well, Old Town well, is the biggest, obviously, and that Swallow Hill is Hill's number two on that. So yeah, that is, so that is yeah, great. it's been. It's been a fun, you know, fun thing, and I, you know, I teach banjo and I teach mandolin and guitar, you know, just um, whatever strings, you know, that I that I can do. Plus, um, voice, um, 
I've had bluegrass singing classes there for a long time. And, and uh, I even tried a, a, a Western singing class there, and it oh, didn't no. quite catch on it like I, I was no, really didn't. hoping it would. But, uh-huh. but thanks to Liz, when she, Liz used to uh, work there as well, and she taught right. all the yodeling classes and, uh, you know, really kept <laughs> kept it alive there. So. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Still, yeah. still missed. She's still missed. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Talk about, uh, talk about bluegrass classes that you teach. Uh, this next song. I've got to hear the story about this. This is called Tear My Steel House Down. And I, first of all, I want to know if you ever had a steel. <laughs> no, the closest I ever had to that was a pedal steel guitar. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. No, I never had a steel. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, this is a yeah. great song. It is so much fun to listen to. Let's take a listen to Tear My Steel House Down. It's Mr. Ernie Martinez. We'll be back in just a moment on the Campfire Cafe. With no stone in my head, no flowers on the tomb, no gold plate of sign, any marble pillared room. But all that I want, they lay me in the ground. When I die, tear my steel house down. Lord, tear my steel house down, let it go to rust. Don't leave no trace of a hiding place where I made that evil stuff. For all my time and money, no profit did I see. That old copper kettle was the death of me. back in the hills I laughed at the men who tended those stills that old mountain shine caught me somehow when I die tear my steel house down Lord tear my steel house down let it go to rust don't leave no trace of a hiding place where I made that evil stuff for all my time and money no profit did I see Oh, okay. 
that's Mr. Ernie Martinez. And uh, Ernie, have you ever seen a steal? <laughs> Only on the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> the only place, yeah, I, yeah, uh, I am an years, Andy Griffith fan, and uh, that's the only time I've ever seen a steal. Years ago, years ago, uh-huh. my dad had mm-hmm. a little farm called Lonely Acres, and it mm-hmm. was fairly close to Old Hickory Lake in Tennessee, and uh, mm-hmm. we used to ride from the farm down to the lake which was just a couple of miles down but i can remember one time when we were riding down to the lake we looked back off to the right in the woods and there was a still and uh oh wow not 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 still functioning but it was definitely a still and it was kind of like it was kind of a hoot to see that thing sitting yeah. back over there oh yeah i bet it was <laughs> yeah yeah yes. But yeah, that so that's is, a you know a Gillian, Gillian Welch song, the tear my steel house down. And, uh, oh, mm-hmm. that's great! It is absolutely yeah. great. Well, we're going to have to have you come back, Ernie. Uh, <laughs> oh, my pleasure! I would love to do that. There's so so many stories that you could tell. So much great music, both in the western and the bluegrass world, and um, I know that our audience out there around the world wants to know how they can get your music. So how can they do that? Uh, you can get it through uh, CD Baby. And um, uh, let me see here. Um, let's see. They can email me uh, through Muville at MSN.com. Okay. And I can get that you know, to, to them. Um, and Facebook, you have a and, page there. I guess they can reach out to you on Facebook, can't they? Um, I have a, well, it's not a, a, a personal Facebook, but it's the, um, um, I think the best way would be, you know, through the, uh, through the email, through the music. Okay. All right. So that's M-U-V-I-L-L-E at MSN.com. And uh, you are definitely going to want to get some of his great music because it's all fantastic and and just so much fun, so much fun to listen to. We're going to wrap up the well. We want to wrap up the show today with a great song called uh, "Measure of a Man." So tell us about this song because this has to be about you. Uh, Yes, it it is, and. uh, yeah, when the CD was released, it was right around when I turned 50 years old, and um, and um, my co-writer on that, uh, Ann Byrne, who helped me write, you know, a lot of songs, including um, the title cut of Blue Range, uh, of the Blue Range record. She and I wrote that one, and, uh, and then we wrote um, a few songs on the uh, the Where I Make My Home CD, including the title cut, you know, for that. But anyway, right. she um, um, had wrote this about me growing up, and um, you know, being a guitar player, and uh, kind of try to put put my life story, you know, into this measure of a man CD, and it's all, you know, it's based on what uh, 
you know what what could you know happen in the next in my next 50 years you know it kind of sums up <laughs> you know, 50 <laughs> years of music plus you know whatever happens you know after that and uh and she did a really good job on, on putting that one together and uh and and i got a chance to play guitar on it and uh yeah we definitely had to put it on the on the album and i'm glad we did well it is it is a great song and um what's next for you where are you headed well uh i'm trying to figure out where where you know uh what my next cd project's going to be but right now i've just been so um um involved with working on other you know other projects and uh you know being in the studio quite a bit and uh performing um, you know, with uh, with a lot of different people, you know, in the Denver area, and uh, um, you know, John Chandler and I have uh, some things that we're working on, and and uh, you know, that's always exciting. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm just gonna kind of keep doing, you know, keep doing what I'm doing and enjoying it, and uh, um, but I will keep everybody posted on, you know, um, what the next CD is gonna be. Well, we look but forward will, to having. But, I, but I'll tell you this much: it w- it will be Western involved. Okay. So, yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah. Well, you are absolutely a great guest. I love visiting and talking with you. And I know Bobby has had a ball as well, haven't you, Bobby? Oh well, thank I you have, so much, I have. Jerry and Bobby. Thank you. <laughs> yes, and uh, and it's, uh, and I like to thank you know, th- and I love your station. I love what you guys are doing, and keep it keep up the good work. You know, it's great and. Uh, Thank you again for you know for having me on 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 the show, and I can't wait to do it again. Sometime. Well, we look forward to it. Yeah. We look forward to it. So this is Mr. Ernie Martinez in his great song called "Measure of a Man." Ernie, thank you so much. Thank you. This old guitar's been around. Half a century more And I've been here About as long Am I ready for the Next encore This old guitar gets better Every year I hope it's true for me This is a measure Of one man In a life With no guarantee Half a century I've been here Half a century time is near Bring on the future, my priorities clear Coming up on my next 50 years I've always been a music man I rarely play alone And I'll trade a lick Or even harmonize You take the lead I'm baritone I may have played a tune with you If not Our time will come 
This is a measure of one man's bore music Before I'm done Over the years I have been blessed With friends, including you This is a measure of one man's good friends Tried and true My days more numbered than before Still rich in prospects And I have my dreams and love to give In a path I will reflect What's up next for this old guitar? What kind of music will it play? This is a measure of one man Still working on his hit parade Half a century I've been here Half a century time is near Bring on the future My priorities clear Coming up on my next 50 years Coming up on my next 50 years. Well, it's time now for Saddle Up America on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. When we come back, we'll be talking with Mr. Alex Kappert, the Executive Director of the Mustang Heritage Foundation. But we'll be back in just a moment right after this from Wiley and the Wild West. It's one called, appropriately, Wild Mustang.
Foundation is joining us now, Mr. Alex Keppert. Hey, Alex. Hey, Gary. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing, my friend? Wonderful. It's been a great start to 2020. Well, did you have a nice new year? I did. I did. I actually, my wife and I got to uh, run up to New England and uh, actually spent New Year's up in Maine. It was very, very pretty, but very cold. Happy to be back in Texas. <laughs> I have to ask where in I have to ask where in, in Maine. Um, we were actually in Gray, which is about thirty minutes, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, northwest of Freeport. Okay, I went to college in Lewiston, so okay, cool. More the, more the southern part of the state, but anytime sure. somebody says Maine, I suddenly feel very much at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very pretty up there, that's for sure. Oh, uh, gosh. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you back in Texas and joining us in Tennessee and Albuquerque today. But um, there's some exciting things going on with the Mustang Heritage Foundation, and they're happening in just a few weeks. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about the date and, and where and when and what? Outstanding. Well, yeah, we actually, we are very excited. Um, We, for the first time ever, um, are going to be having our Fort Worth Extreme Mustang Makeover uh, during the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo. Uh, So that's going to be taking place the 23rd through the 25th of January up there at the Stockyards in Fort Worth, and we're super excited uh, to to be participating in that. Uh, There's about 2 million people that go through that three-week event, and so we're very excited to, wow. to be there and, and promote the Mustangs throughout um, that that event. Um, another great thing that we have going on is on Friday, the 24th, we have our Mustang Magic Celebrity Freestyles, and if you're looking for some uh, entertainment, uh, some, you know, crazy different activities and and things that you can see done with horses and there'll be all sorts of other animals involved Um, that's the the place to be we'll have eight of our top celebrity mustang trainers from across the country coming in to compete for fifty thousand dollars in cash and prizes and that's going to be a night of entertainment for sure wow well for our worldwide audience that's joining us today Uh, Tell us a little bit about what happens during an extreme Mustang makeover. What's that all about? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So the uh, premise of an extreme Mustang makeover is to showcase the trainability and adaptability of uh, wild Mustangs. Um, What we have is we have trainers from all across the country that select uh, horses from uh, BLM holding facilities. Um, There's some 
processes that go into place, but they have about 100 to 120 days to take them from wild, um, never having been touched or handled before in their lives, to um, showcasing them. Um, there's a few different ways that that occurs. Um, the first step is uh, we have three preliminary classes. We have a trail class, we have a handling and conditioning class, and we have a pattern class. Um, and those really are just showcasing, you know, what the trainers have been able to do with their horses since picking them up uh, and taking them from wild to mild. Now, throughout those uh, classes, everything is judged, uh, and our top ten scorers, uh, we'll come back for what we call our top ten finals. Um, there are some compulsory maneuvers that are a little more technical and advanced that they have to complete. And then Saturday evening, we have our top ten freestyles. And that is three to three and a half minutes of pure joy for these ten trainers. Uh, they've got music. They've got routines that they've worked on. You've got props. You've got anything and everything to really showcase how trainable these horses are uh, and what's so cool about this is it's you know within three to three and a half months that they take them from not being touched whatsoever to you know jumping them through uh saloons and you know uh pulling tarps and doing all sorts of crazy stuff that horses that have been trained for a heck of a lot longer than three months uh, would be very skeptical to do well it's an exciting thing to watch and um uh, and I'll have to say that the freestyle is my favorite thing to watch when I'm in an extreme Mustang makeover. But describe just a little bit the three different classes that they'll be participating in before they get to that that uh, top ten final. Sure, sure, absolutely. So um, our first class is a handling and conditioning class. Uh, and throughout that, uh, the... Horses and the trainers are judged based on, you know, condition of the the horse. You know, how are are they slicked out? Um, are they bathed? They have a, a groomed mane and tail. Uh, can you pick up their feet? Can you uh, take them into a uh, enclosed pen? Take the halter off. Walk out of the pen. Go back in and, and catch them. Uh, easily get a halter on them. Can you get them loaded into and out of a trailer? Just basic handling uh, of the horses to show that you know you really you can walk out into a pasture and, and put a halter on them if you needed to. Right. So that's our first right. class. Uh, the uh, trail class is just like any trail class you would see in many of the other uh, Western disciplines. You know, you'll uh, back through an L possibly, um, you know, open a gate, uh, check a mailbox, go over some bridges. You know, anything that you might see if you were to out, be out, excuse me, uh, on the trail riding. Okay this Mustang. Uh, and the final uh, class is a pattern class. And, you know, that's really wanting to showcase the um, finish on the horses. You know, can you smoothly move from a left lead to a right lead? Can you drop in uh, pace or gait from, you know, a canter to a trot uh, smoothly? Uh, can you do big circles? Can you do little circles? So it's very much a, a traditional pattern class, but really the whole premise of all of these three classes is to show that, you know, 
these horses are just as trainable and just as usable as anything else that might be out there that you're, uh, you know, ad- adopting or uh, purchasing. So uh, there's this stigma that we're wanting to overcome that, you know, Mustangs really are a very viable option. They're very trainable, and I can speak from personal experience. I have a couple of them at home in the pasture, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's uh, w- one thing that folks need to know is that Mustangs uh, pretty much are like any other horse as mm-hmm. far as being able to accomplish these different uh, feats. And uh, But to be able to do it, in 90 days or 100 days is just, to me, pretty mind-boggling. Right. It, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got some out in my pasture right now. I'm not sure that they could do all of those different things. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got I know one I've had out there for, for 16 years, you know, and I'm not sure about <laughs> Those different things. Now, one of the one of the unique things about the Extreme Mustang Makeover is that um, uh, after the top ten have been selected uh, to come back and compete uh, in the afternoon at these events, all of these horses are placed for adoption, aren't they? They're That's up for exactly bid. right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So the. Uh, after the conclusion of our preliminary classes, um, all of the horses that have not made the top ten are put up for uh, adoption uh, through uh, a live auction process. Um, it's it's a great, fun experience. I know I sure enjoy going to auctions. A lot of people I know do as well. So it's fun to go watch, um, and you can, you can get a, a very well started uh horse for a reasonable price so that's a great opportunity and then at the conclusion of our top 10 finals that's when the the real big auction starts and you'll have um the entire will rogers coliseum full and you've got bidders from all over the country and it's just it's a high energy lot of fun event and these horses uh tend to bring a, a lot of money so it's great for the trainers it's great for uh the horses it's it's just a good experience well, it is great. And, uh, Bobby, when they talk about bringing some top dollars, I believe Paula Carr, who's the chairman of Mustang Heritage Foundation, or chairperson, which should I say, chairman or chairperson? Uh, <laughs> she's the chairman. I think she told me that uh, that she knew of one of those horses that at auction had brought about $40,000 and went out to California. Yes, uh, so they they can bring not too much but they can bring a whole lot as well mm-hmm. and uh and the competition in this bidding gets to be pretty exciting and uh, and we will mention too that uh the trainers that have put so much blood sweat and tears into these horses if they would like have the opportunity to bid on the horses themselves so Yes. Uh, if if you see some tears out there, sometimes those are tears mm-hmm. of joy, and sometimes they're tears of happiness because the purpose is to find great homes for these mustangs, and um, that is a pretty cool deal. That is a pretty. That's really what it's all about, you know. Yes, it's, sir. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, but the purpose is to find homes for these mustangs. Uh, how many mustangs do we have out on the wild right now? 
That is a great question. So um, by current BLM estimates, there's about 88,000 out on uh, the range in 10 western states. Um, the recommended carrying capacity or stocking level, if you will, is about 27,000. So wow. uh, currently the uh, situation is, is getting pretty dire. Uh, the horses and burrows uh, are overpopulated by about three times what the recommended carrying capacity is for maintaining sustainable rangelands. Well, and it, it can be, it, it is a, a serious situation when you've overpopulated these lands because um, uh, these Mustangs, and if you're from the east, you're not familiar with this because back in the east, we've got a lot of grass and a lot of rain. But if you go out west, the the ranges that these horses are on, uh, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of acres to be able to support one horse. So the opportunity for these horses to survive is greatly reduced just due to hunger and, and thirst quite mm -hmm. often. So uh, the the effort that the Mustang Heritage Foundation is putting into, in cooperation with the Bureau of Land Management, is to help find homes for these horses, and uh, and to get them placed uh, where they can survive and thrive and, and make good companions for for folks like you and me, Bobby. Um, since we're talking about this, um, Alex, the uh, the uh, Mustang Heritage Foundation has a phenomenal website. Just fantastic to any of our listeners go to this website um mustangheritagefoundation.org um you can find out so much information but one of the things alex that i'm just looking at is the be a hero to a mustang yeah and for a thousand dollars um you can really make a difference uh, you want to talk a little bit about that program Sure, absolutely, absolutely. So the uh, Hero Mustang campaign is something that is actually uh, was rolled out in the uh, middle of November of 2019. It's kind of crazy to say oh, it's last year now. Um, mm -hmm. But the whole purpose of that program um, is to help get uh, additional horses and burrows placed into private adoptive care. So we, as Gary mentioned, have a phenomenal partnership with the Bureau of Land Management um, and some great support uh, in logistics and, and financially to help get horses and burrows placed. But we're really looking to take this to the next level, uh, and with a $1,000 tax-deductible donation, uh, you can ensure that through our programs we are able to get uh, another horse or burrow placed into private adoptive care. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for you to really help uh, with the uh, overpopulation issues that we discussed just a couple of minutes ago. Uh, you know, get a, a good horse or burrow into private adoptive care. Uh, it's, it's great for the people as well as for the horses. Mm -hmm. and, an, and another program that you have um, that I think will speak to a lot of our listeners is um, for veterans, what yeah. um, a fantastic! You want to talk about that one for a moment? Yeah, absolutely. So our Veterans and Mustangs program um, has been around for a, about what, five or six years now, um, and it's been a phenomenal program. It's very, very cool to watch the transformation, um, not only of the veterans, but the horses themselves. Uh, you know, a lot of times our veterans that have participated come in thinking that they're going to break a horse and that they're going to, you know, use their, their will and their muscle and, and, you know, bend this animal to their will. 
Well, what they come to find out is that this really is a uh, a partnership between the veteran and the horse that they're working with, and that these horses are really mirrors uh, of what the veteran is is experiencing. So if they're aggravated, the horse is aggravated, and uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's been a, a great program. Um, we take between six and ten uh, veterans per session, uh, and we have a six-week intensive course here at uh, the Foundation headquarters in Georgetown, Texas. Uh, we bring the veterans in, and they get hands-on training experience with uh, horses that they have selected from BLM facilities. Uh, they get to work with them, and it's the gentling process. In addition to all of the gentling and the hands-on, the program is really educating these men and women how to be astute uh, owners of horses. You know, we've got a uh, an equine dentist that comes out and shows how teeth floats are done, and we've got the farrier coming out, and we've got uh, we'll go to Southwest Stallion Station and see how uh, you know a, a. a veterinary hospital. So it really is equipping these veterans to be uh, able to provide a home to uh, a horse if they so desire. And if not, it's equipping them with vocational skills to um, move into, you know, Western lifestyle, uh, the equine industry. A lot of them, uh, even if they decide not to pursue a career in the equine industry, just going through the program and the experience and working with the wild horse uh, it really gives them their confidence back and helps them plug back into civilian lifestyle. So uh, we've had phenomenal results. Uh, we typically see about a 50% reduction in the use of pharmaceuticals uh, for our veterans that have gone through the program, uh, you know, reduced uh, alcohol use, drug use, and all that good stuff. And, and really probably the most touching thing that, that you hear is um, from the families of these veterans, you know, you, you'll speak with wives and children and husbands who, you know, we we had lost our our veteran. Um, you know, they were basically numb to the world. Um, but after going through the program, they are able to, you know, communicate. They're engaging in their communities. Um, so it, it's a phenomenal program uh, that has been greatly, greatly received, uh, and we are actually looking to get our first session for 2020 kicked off April the 1st, so we're very, very excited about that. The applications will be going up on the website here uh, in the next couple of weeks, so if you uh, are a veteran or you know a veteran that is interested in participating in the program, I invite you to to get there on the the website and fill out that application. Well, it's a a great program, and... um, I've actually talked to some veterans who have been through your program and um, they become so emotional because it actually can help to save their life. We have 22 a day that commit suicide. And so being able to work with horses like they do uh, gives them their lives back. And so uh, I kind of call your program Saving Horses, Saving veterans as well Mm -hmm. uh, I've had some of these folks so emotional I tried to do some interviews with them and they they come back and they say I can't do it I'll just cry through the whole thing right and so it really really changes lives for the veterans and as you mentioned for their families as well because Mm -hmm. 
not only do the veterans become lost through their PTSD, but their families become lost and challenged as well. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to listen to a song called Cobra by Templeton Thompson. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, uh, Alex, but uh, Peter Prince wrote the song. Melody De Benedictus has just done artwork for Cobra, and Cobra is a three-strike wild Mustang, and uh, a portion of the sales of this CD and the artwork is going to go to the Mustang Heritage Foundation. So let's take a listen. Let's take a listen to Cobra, and we're going to come back and talk more with Alex about uh, Mustang Magic and a few of the other programs that they have as well at the Mustang Heritage Foundation. This is Saddle Up America. Over. 
Templeton Thompson, written by Peter Prince, and you can find the artwork on the CD by Melody DeBenedictus, and um, great CD, all the proceeds from the sale of the CD, and a portion of the proceeds from the sale of the CD, and also you can order Marsha's artwork of Cobra the Mustang, and a portion of the sales of that will go to the Mustang Heritage Foundation as well, and Cobra is owned and trained by Marsha Sapp. And uh, so Marsha is going to be one of the people that will be participating in the Mustang Magic. And uh, have you met Cobra yet, Alex? You know, I have not yet, Gary. Um, I've heard great things, but I haven't met him yet. Well, I understand that he may, he may be at Fort Worth this time. So it'll be a great opportunity to get to meet him. He just retired uh, at Briarfest this year at the Kentucky Horse Park. And uh, I know Matt Moran got to do some great interviews with uh, Marsha uh, while she was up there and visit with Cobra. Yeah. So cool stuff. But who else is participating in the Mustang Magic? And uh, tell us a little bit more about what's going to go on with that event. Sure, sure, absolutely. So uh, as I mentioned, we've got uh, eight of our uh, celebrity trainers. We've got folks from all over the country. We've got uh, Ginger Duke, who is a local Texan here uh, out of uh, the Mineral Wells area. We've got Nate Iker, another fellow Texan, Marsha Sapp, as you mentioned, coming up out of Florida, uh, Dan James, who lives, I believe, in Kentucky, uh, yeah. Bobby Kerr, who, uh, if you have not seen Bobby Kerr, but you've been to a rodeo recently, you may have seen him and not even realized it. Uh, he actually is uh, has won for the past couple of years PRCA Dress Act of the Year, so he's a phenomenal performer. Uh, he's got a very, very cool thing going with uh, his Mustangs and his dogs, so I'm, I'll be very excited to see what he can do. Uh, we've got Katie Ketterhagen, who has done uh, many different things with us, our um, Extreme Mustang Makeovers, Magic, uh, you know, has won several of the uh, makeovers, actually. She's a phenomenal trainer. Uh, Madison Shambaugh, uh, she's out of Colorado, and then Wileen Wilson out of Missouri. So we've got some big-name Mustang trainers that are going to be heading to Fort Worth competing for uh, that $50,000 in cash and prizes. So uh, the premise of this event is really the entertainment value. So uh, there will be some basic compulsory stuff that they have to do, you know, just horsemanship. But the real focus of this event that will be taking place on Friday the 24th is entertainment. Uh, each of these uh, professional trainers will have uh, three and a half to four minutes to go through with uh, a full routine and props like you would not believe. Um, I fully expect Bobby to have some of his old cars. Uh, we'll see horses going in and out of trailers and up and down ramps. And, uh, you know, sometimes we see some wagons being pulled. I hear tell that there might be some zebras involved. 
so it's oh, going to no. be quite the uh, entertainment experience for the uh, Fort Worth community and anyone else who makes it down there on the 24th of January. So we're very excited about it. Well, that is that is pretty cool, and the people that are participating in the Mustang Magic are just fantastic folks. Uh, Madison Shambaugh is better known as Mustang Maddie, and uh, of course Dan James performs all across the country with his horses, and then Wylene is actually participating in Road to the Horse in just a couple of months. So some really really talented people that are rolling yeah. in to to uh, as you said entertain and wow the audience and yes. uh, uh so it's it's absolutely absolutely fantastic and they compete for $50,000 I think I understand that the folks that are competing in the Extreme Mustang Makeover are competing for 100,000 Yes, yep, yep, the uh, Extreme Mustang Makeover that's going on there in Fort Worth is actually uh, 125,000 in cash and prizes that they are competing for. So it's a pretty sweet kitty and then Magic is yep, 50,000. Um and I guess one thing that I needed to make sure that everyone was aware of, all of the horses are the primary focus of the horses in uh, Magic are Mustangs. Uh it's not like these folks are bringing in uh you know every Tom, Dick, Joe, and Harry. These are uh, these are Mustangs that they most have. Most of them have trained themselves from the get go. Uh, so it, it's very, very exciting. Well, it is exciting. And uh, before I forget, let me mention uh, this is just the first of three Extreme Mustang makeovers that will be taking place this year. Uh, the uh, you want to tell us where the other two are? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we will be heading back to uh, Lexington, Kentucky, in the Kentucky Horse Park at the end of June uh, from the 25th to the 27th. Uh, This is our third or fourth year there, and it's been a phenomenal event. The Kentucky Horse Park is a great venue for us to to get our uh, Mustang folks out there and exposed to to everyone, so we're very excited about that one. And for the first time in several years, we're going to be heading out to the West Coast. And at the uh, first week of August, the 7th and 8th, we will be at the uh, Los Angeles Equestrian Complex there in L.A., California. Wow. So whether you're east or west or far west, you'll have an opportunity to uh, to go and visit an extreme Mustang makeover. And you'll also have an opportunity to bid on Mustangs and take one of these beautiful animals home with you as well. And, uh, again, that's what this is all about, is getting these Mustangs adopted and and finding new homes for them. I think Paula Carr told me one time that uh, they have a place in Cross Plains, Tennessee. And she and her husband, Randall, operate that. And I believe Paula told me that since they started, they have adopted from their facility alone over 25,000 Mustangs. Yes, sir. And that is just amazing to help it find is. home for that many of these wild horses. But um, anyway, it's going to be a great event coming up in just a couple of weeks in Fort Worth. And folks will be traveling from all over the world to see this and participate in that event. And um, and I think I'll just take the opportunity to mention that in June, June 18th through 20th, 
we're holding an event called Rendezvous 2020, and um, you'll be able to meet many of these people that we've talked about. I know Melody Benedictus is going to be there. Peter Prince just told me that he had made his reservations to come in from New Jersey for the event. He wrote the song Cobra. Um, Alex is going to be there yep. with his entourage. And uh, that event, you can find more information on our website at equestrianlegacy.net and click on Rendezvous 2020. But it will be trail riding, musical concerts, vendors. Uh, Equus Film Festival is coming to participate in the event. They'll be showing films and documentaries for a couple of days. Fred Wool, who is the chairman of BLM's Wild Horse and Burrow Advisory Board, is going to be there. Some of our good friends with the BLM are going to be there, and you can go and visit with all these folks and find out whatever you'd like to know about Mustangs and how you can participate. And then on Saturday, we are actually going to auction some select Mustangs and Burrows. And and then musical concerts again, and some of this talent that's going to be there to, to entertain you is just amazing as well. So that's going to be a great event. So check out Rendezvous 2020 and go ahead and make your reservations now because I know a lot of people have been doing that. And uh, we're raising money, Alex, for your uh, uh, Veterans and Mustangs program. Yes, sir. And so yes, sir. a great, great, great cause. So we're looking forward to that. Uh what are we missing? I'm, we're missing the TIP program. Tell us about the TIP program right quick. Yeah, yeah. So the TIP program is actually our trainer incentive program, and that is uh, our largest by volume of placements. Uh, last year we were able to place uh, over 2,400 horses in burrows into private adoptive care through um, the TIP program. Uh, and what that is is that is uh, – a program where we have trainers all across the country who have to go through an approval process, um, become an approved tip trainer, and then they take and they gentle uh, horses and burrows uh, through low-pressure means uh, and get them placed into private adoptive care. Uh, And what is in it for these uh, trainers is actually the opportunity to earn some additional income uh, for horses that have been uh, gentled. Uh, there's some basic requirements, uh, pick up their feet, uh, halter them, all that good stuff. Uh, they, the trainers will receive a thousand dollar payment uh, for burrows. It's a $750 payment. Uh, and then there are some varying different levels to uh, the, the degree of um, gentling before the animals are placed, and all of them uh, trainers receive uh, incentive for for conducting that. So uh, it's a it's a great program that really helps get wild horses and and burros gentled um, and into private homes. Uh, and what's so great about all of the programs that we conduct here at the Mustang Heritage Foundation is every single horse and burrow that we get placed into private adoptive care ends up saving um, taxpayers about $50,000 over the lifetime of that animal, and that's the the cost of uh, housing and feed and and veterinary and farrier and all that stuff uh, for while the animals are in uh, long-term holding or in BLM corrals. So uh, this TIP program has been a phenomenal vehicle for helping us get uh, big numbers of horses 
and Burroughs placed into private adoptive care, which is great for the horses and, and great for you and me as taxpayers. Yeah, it's a win-win situation all the way around. And um, and I, I just want to mention, uh, Alex and Bobby, these people that are involved with the Mustangs are passionate. They are absolutely passionate about what they're doing. They're passionate about finding homes for these Mustangs. And um, uh, I have, I have, uh, I went out to dinner with about 40 of my closest friends who were tip trainers uh, this past year. And I mean, they have a little bit of fun too while they're doing all this good work. So really, really cool deal. Really cool deal. And as Bobby said, visit MustangHeritage.org. Is that right? MustangHeritage.org. Yes, Mustang you can go on there and learn about uh, the Veterans Program, uh, Mustang Magic, the Extreme Mustang Makeovers, uh, you know, just the, the situation. Um, if you want to learn more about uh, why the work we're doing is so important, um, all that good stuff. And if you'd like to become uh, a member of the foundation uh, or if you'd like to donate to support the cause, you can do that through the website as well. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, we have great support and a great partnership from the Bureau of Land Management. Um, but every incremental dollar that we can get from outside funding sources just helps us further advance our mission in serving veterans and getting uh, wild horses and burrows placed and, and really doing outreach. Uh, so please take the, the time to, to go to MustangHeritageFoundation.org and, and peruse the website. You might learn something new. Well, it's a, it's a great website, as Bobby said, and uh, the work that they're doing to help save these Mustangs is is phenomenal as well. So, Alex, you did good today. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun talking with you, and I look forward to meeting you in June and um, uh, having you back on the show to talk a little bit more about some of the things that are happening with the Mustang Heritage Foundation. So thank you for your time today. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to take a quick break and listen to a song called Pony Called Loved. It's by Junie Fisher. And again, Alex, thanks so much. Thank you.
the last drops wrung from a valentine sponge my blood must taste bitter on the tip of her tongue no high more ground and no place to The heartbreaker That pony Called love I've been behind up Stepped on And kicked in The heart Yeah She's a bad one come apart That pony called My soul in a cast Not a highway of life That don't lead to the past As I sip from the gold cup Of bottomless pain I see demons in the headlights But could they The heartbreaker That pony Called love Oh, she's a soul taker That pony Called Miss Junie Fisher, Pony Call Love. Bobby Bell, this has been fun. Ernie Martinez is such a cool guy. Yeah, and you know, you just you will so enjoy um, meeting him and and uh, hearing him perform. And um, yeah, this is really fun. Really fun. Great to have him. On, great to have him on finally. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and and so many people that he has produced or been part of their recording. And uh, folks just love him. They they just love him. They love his work. They love his talent and ability, and they love his heart. So, anyway, fun visiting with him. And it was fun to visit with Alex Keppert today. 
and find out more about the things that are happening with the Mustang Heritage Foundation and the event coming up at the end of this month in Fort Worth. I'd like to be there. It's going to be a fun yeah. time. Yeah. It is going to be a fun time. But uh, anyway, it's been a good show, and we appreciate uh, our quarter of a million listeners tuning in every week and being part of the Campfire Cafe in Settle Up America, and we appreciate all your comments and, and uh, support as well. Any closing thoughts today, Bobby Bell, to start well, the you new know, year I think off today, with? I think today is our anniversary, you and me. I think um, I joined you on the very first show of January 2015. Happy anniversary. <laughs> it was either 20. 20- <laughs> 14 or tw- I think it was 2015. So yeah, happy anniversary part. Oh, wow. <laughs> Starting 5 years is amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how it, it went so fast. Um cuz I you know, I I look at pictures and we don't look any different, you know, than than we ever did. <laughs> cuz I'm using old pictures. That's why for me anyway. Oh, oh gosh! Well, well it's certainly been thought. fun. It's been fun having sure you uh, on the ride with me. And uh, well, what is it you called yourself a, the other day? A sidekick? I think you're more a than a sidekick. Kick. Yeah, well, I think you're more I, than a sidekick. Well, you know. <laughs> well, here's a quote as we look to the uh, clear vision for 2020. The future right. starts today, not tomorrow. John Paul II. Well, that's exactly right. It it is exactly right. So we can learn from the past and we can look forward to the future, but we have to live in the moment. And uh, so that's my New Year's resolution for 2020 is to live life in the moment. And uh, we, we hope that you all will adhere to that as well. So live in the moment. Well, Bobby, it's been fun. We're going to close out this show today with a great song by Belinda Gale called Dollar. And uh, we invite everyone to join us again next Thursday, beginning at noon for the Campfire Cafe, followed by Saddle Up America. And uh, we look forward to having you for another year, Miss Bobby. It's been fun. Five years. It has. I don't think I've been married that long. Anyone Well, I actually might, might be starting Six, actually, but I'll have to go back at the calendar and really look at that. <laughs> well, next time you can verify that for me. So Yeah, I'll verify that next week. <laughs> it's been fun. Listen, this is Blenda Gale. Please join us next week. And remember, as always, if you're climbing the saddle, get ready for the ride on Equestrian Legacy Radio. Thanks for listening. See you, Bobby.
never named him till one time at a rodeo. It was 15 minutes before they started up the show. When a cowboy said, I'll bet a buck that horse that you can't ride. That one there without a name strapped in that sorrel hide. Now that cowboy that made the brag was a tough one to be thrown. But the horse turned out the victor cause the cowboy never rode. They called that horse O'Dollar from that moment on. And the cowboys that got on his back, they didn't last too long. Dollar, O'Dollar. Dollar was the sore horse the cowboys couldn't ride. Gentle horse from town. 